What's up, everybody? I am Wyatt, and welcome to Cinema Trip Reviews. If you're new to the channel, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Go check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Cinema Trip Reviews. Also, wherever you get your podcasts, pretty much available everywhere. Drop in and leave us a good review. Uh, today on the show, I'm going to be talking about Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, uh, as it's subtitled. This is the first time I have ever seen this movie. Uh, this was from 2014. This is a critically acclaimed film from that time. If I mean, in 2014, 2015, this movie was pretty much all everybody was talking about and I mean you every year I feel like you get one of those movies because of the Oscars and because it goes in and sweeps a bunch of awards most recently with like everything everywhere all at once you know that movie dominated everything you were seeing it everywhere everybody was talking about it pretty much in 2014 2015 that's what was happening with this movie. I do remember seeing the trailer for it. I wasn't super interested in it at the time. I mean, watching the trailer, it doesn't really show you too much or really explain what the course of the movie is or what it really is about, really. Um, so, I mean, even before I watched the, the movie here, I watched the trailer again and I was, I was, you know, I feel like it piqued my interest more now that I'm older than whenever it originally came out. You know, I decided to go and actually give it a full watch here and I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Now, this movie was directed by Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. If not, forgive me. I am sorry. This movie is starring Michael Keaton as Riggin Thompson, Edward Norton as Mike Shiner. You got Emma Stone in here, uh, Amy Ryan, Zach Galifianakis, Naomi Watts, Andrea Riseborough, and Lindsay Duncan in this. Uh, those are really the main players of the movie itself. Now, the main plot of the movie is you follow Reagan Thompson, played by Michael Keaton's character, who is like a washed-up actor, and he is trying to rejuvenate his career and really make himself as like a an artist or an actual actor, you know, a trained actor. He wants to be recognized for his talent, not just being the Birdman, as, you know, the title of the movie. And that was his character in the superhero movies, was Birdman. But the way he's trying to rejuvenate his career is he's taking this old play and he's trying to put it on Broadway and he's going to be the star. He's writing it. He rewrote it. He directed it. And he's also going to be starring in it. And this is going to be his way to, for, for people to find out that he's, he's not just a, an entertainer out there. He's an actual actor and he can, you know, he wants people to see his craft. He wants people to see that he can make it as a, as an actor. Uh, he's, he doesn't want to just rely on being that guy in the superhero movies all those years ago. And it, this movie is extremely interesting and it's extremely unique because of the way it's shot. I remember hearing about this at the time, but it really threw me for a loop because I forgot about it until I watched it. And I was like, oh, wow, I, I'm wondering how this is going to work. Now, this movie is shot to make it seem like it is one huge entire long take going on for two hours. This movie is two hours long. And I believe there's only about 16 or 15 cuts throughout the whole thing that you can kind of tell that it's going into a new scene and they actually spliced it here. But as you're watching through the movie, everything goes in very seamlessly. And it's shot very unique as well because it's kind of like a... I wouldn't say a documentary, but it's kind of like a, a mockumentary type style. Like if you watch like The Office or something where you can actually are following the characters around and it's very candid. It's like a candid camera type movie in a way because uh, it's it's not like these cinematic shots or anything like the camera's constantly following these characters as they're moving along the, you know, these different hallways or going to the stage because this whole movie takes place pretty much in this theater where they're, you know, running the play and it takes place over the course of um, like the, the last three like preview nights before the, the opening night of the Broadway show. 
And everything that can go wrong will go wrong through the course of this movie, as you come to find out from one of the lead actors, you know, getting a fucking light dropped on his head and he has to leave production. Was not an accident? I don't know. And then you have to recast that actor. And who do you bring in? You bring in Edward Norton, who causes a whole bunch of, you know, mischief and, and you know, antics because of what kind of actor he is. And what I really enjoy about this is you see some kind of parallels between the actor who's playing the part and the actual the character that they're playing. Like Michael Keaton's character, who is coincidentally enough. His last movie that he did in like the superhero movies that he did was in 1992, which coincidentally is when Batman Returns came out. So there's some some parallels between these characters because Michael Keaton at the time, this movie is really what rejuvenated his career Uh, for a good while. You weren't really hearing much of Michael Keaton for a while. I mean, he was in some movies here and there after Batman Returns and in between all that time. Um, But he wasn't... This movie is really what kind of escalated him back on top of of superstardom. And, I mean, you've seen him in a bunch of stuff since then. But this movie is really what kind of rejuvenated his career and, you know, catapulted him up there. He won a bunch of awards for it. He was nominated for a bunch of awards for it. He got a, a lot of great recognition for this. And, I mean, you see some parallels between that and also between, like, Edward Norton and his character. His character is kind of, like, full of himself. He's also, he's trying to make some, like, script changes. He thinks he's all, his decisions are always right. He wants, like, a, he, he's taking credit for things that, that he didn't actually do. And some of these things if, if you read about edward norton and some of his antics on some of his old movies or some of the rumors about how he his, he acts and treats people on set at some of these movies uh you hear about a lot with that hulk movie that he was in for marvel back in the day here uh so i mean his character kind of mirrors what was happening with him and a lot of these rumors that were happening with him. So, I mean, there's some similarities between some of these characters and a lot of like the main characters were actually in superhero movies, which is pretty interesting enough. Now this movie was very meticulously planned because with it making it seem like it is all one shot through the course of the movie, you have to make sure that script is as tight as possible going into filming because you're not going to have room for, you know, taking out certain scenes or replacing certain scenes or, or anything like that. What you see is what you get pretty much. Um, but apparently this movie took about two months to complete entirely. Uh, it took two weeks to edit after it was completed, which doesn't seem like a lot of time, but because uniquely enough, like everything else, this movie was shot in sequence. It was filmed entirely in order, so they didn't really have to do a ton of editing at the end of everything. Pretty much everything that was on the script was what you you got on film, and pretty much you go into the editing. You don't have to do too much other than add some special effects in here, here or there. Boom, you're done. You got a movie. So, I mean, two months to film this and then two weeks to edit, that's not a lot at all. And then it comes out as amazing as it is and how tightly written that script was. And, I mean, the whole movie was was great overall. I mean, you know, I just want to get that out there. I had a, a really good time because I didn't know what to expect at all. I mean, after watching the trailer, like I mentioned... I didn't really know what was going on other than like the brief description is about as like an aging actor who's trying to, you know, get himself big again. The trailer doesn't really show you a lot of that kind of stuff is very uh, it, it reminds you of like kind of like an A24 type, you know, or an art house type trailer. You're, you're not getting a lot of information out of it, which 
I really like in this day and age, I've complained about it on other videos before, trailers give way too much away of movies nowadays. So it's kind of refreshing to watch a trailer like this, not really know what it's about, and then going into it, and it kind of, I wouldn't say blew my socks off by any means, but it was a very good movie. Um, I don't think I'm going to go back and rewatch it again unless somebody unless like my fiance wants to watch it or something it's not something i would really add to my collection and view on multiple viewings i feel like i really got what i wanted out of this movie and it was a very good watch upon the first time now because of the movie being filmed in like not only sequential order but because this movie is filmed like it is one long take with very minimal cuts you have extremely long takes and apparently they were fitting like 15 pages of dialogue in in between like each take itself so i mean a lot of these actors really had to try to kind of treat it like a broadway play or a broadway musical and memorize all these lines and go through all their blocking where they need to be what they are doing at that point in time in the in the scene so i mean hats off to everybody that was in this in this movie that was able to you know do a bang, not only a great, amazing acting job, but to go through and do everything else through these extremely long takes. Because, man, I feel like that would be extremely hard. And to do it in two months, that that's crazy to me. I feel like that is an extremely short amount of time to go through a two-hour movie and have it blocked and memorized and being able to kind of move scenes and transition scenes the way you want it to. So, I mean, it's... It's very unique. I've, I personally have never seen anything like it. Now, I know there's some other movies out there that are, or TV shows that have since after this kind of went and tried to do their same thing with like huge one take shots or, you know, doing something in the vein of this sort of thing. But I've never seen it on this scale before. And it was very impressive. It was really impressive. It helped with the movie. And I think, and I feel like the way that the story went and everything that was involved, I feel like that helped the movie in a way. Because uh, I feel like if you if you go into a movie not knowing what it's about and you know that okay, it's gonna see it's gonna seem like it is one long take. There's no cuts or anything. I feel like the first impression is okay. That that doesn't sound like it would make for a very exciting movie, really. Because I feel like you you need some kind of you need to break some of the monotony. You need to go have some different set pieces or things like that. But the way things kind of change so much, and you're following this character, and then it goes right into somewhere else, and you're following another character, everything kind of blends and goes together so seamlessly that you don't really mind. You're you're following these. You're not just following Michael Keaton's character the entire movie. You get to follow like Edward Norton's character for a little bit, or uh, Michael Keaton's daughter, played by Emma Stone in the movie. You get to follow her for a little bit and see what what's going on with her now my only real like nitpick I have about this movie and this is you know a very tiny nitpick is some of the characters you're following for the maybe a majority of the movie they kind of disappear by the end uh Edward Norton who you see for a majority of the movie he he kind of takes a backseat and, and disappears for that third act you you really don't see much of him at all in that third act uh, and especially with Naomi Watts character who you see probably more so in that first half really disappears in that back half of the movie uh, where you think that maybe she was going to have more of a presence or, or more of a role. She disappears as well. And you kind of go through like different antagonists in a way. Maybe that's the reason why they do it. Cause at the very beginning, like I mentioned, you have the, the actor who the light fell on his head and they're all worried like, Oh, you're, he's going to get, they're going to sue the, the production and everything. This is going to cause a lot of issues. But then you have like Edward Norton's character who you follow for like a majority of the movie with Michael Keaton and everybody else who he's, 
he's very like egotistical. He feels like he knows best of everything. You know, he's, he's very, uh, kind of a pompous asshole through a majority of the movie. So he's kind of like an antagonist through the thing as well. He's causing some trouble with the production, and everything. But in like the third act, you have the critic for like the New York times played by like Lindsay Duncan. She hates Michael Keaton's character because she feels like he's phony because he, he spent all these years like as a, you know, a comic book actor behind this suit. She feels that he's an entertainer. He's not an actor. He's not an artist at heart. So right out the gate, she's like, I'm going to destroy your, your production. I'm going to give it a terrible review. And there's really not anything you could do about it. I don't like you. And he, she doesn't know anything about it. She hasn't seen it. And she immediately tells him like, yeah, I'm just going to rip your play apart. I'm going to destroy it. And then he just kind of goes off on her for a little, for a little bit. And you think that's going to have some kind of repercussions, but she kind of disappears as well. You only get to see her maybe one other time at the end of the movie. It kind of bounces back and forth between like these little antagonists through the movie while all these other issues are going on, not just within the play, but within Michael Keaton's life as well. I mean, he has a daughter, an ex-drug addict daughter who's just out of rehab. You, she, he thinks that she's like relapsing, but also he realizes he hasn't been the best father to her her whole life. He realizes he's been a shitty father because he's always been away like making movies and doing other stuff. So he has that on his mind. He has everything that's going on with the show uh, because he's funding it. He's directing it. He's he helped write it. And he has to deal with everything that's going on production-wise that's going wrong. And I mean, there's other issues that happen throughout. Like, of course, one of the big uh, set pieces of the movie that everybody gets to laugh at is he ends up getting locked out. He goes out for a smoke and he ends up getting locked out of the building during while the show's going on and he has to get back in. But he's not dressed fully. He's he's in his underwear and a robe, but the robe gets stuck in a door. So he has to run around Times Square in New York in his undies and they're not just boxers or anything. They're tidy whities and he's running around and everybody's filming them, putting them on the internet. You know how it is, but that's a pretty hilarious part of the movie. I wouldn't say this movie is very funny at all. And I've, I remember a lot of people saying like, it's kind of like a dark comedy and there's some comedy sprinkled throughout. I didn't really find this movie funny at all. I mean, other than like maybe a couple different places, but overall it's, a, it's, it's very much a drama that you're following these characters. A lot of people had the impression it was like a superhero type movie whenever it originally came out. I remember and boy, they were dead wrong because it's more so about a production on Broadway than anything. And, uh, and following Michael Keaton's kind of downward spiral, uh, not just within his career, but Kind of mentally as well. I mean, throughout the whole movie, this is a part I haven't mentioned. Throughout the whole movie, he has this voice in his head. And it's telling him pretty much the truth of what he needs to do, but he doesn't want to listen to it. But you find out this voice that he's hearing in his head is Birdman. It's this superhero that he played in these movies. And about halfway through the movie, that's when you really start seeing Birdman in like mirrors or walking behind him or flying behind him, even on that street that you the street scene that you see in like all the trailers and everything. But it's definitely a very interesting take on everything, on how they did it and how it was written. He ends up having these conversations with Birdman and then it goes and he kind of snaps out of it and he's somewhere else. Like he ends up snapping out of it and he's on top of a building and everybody down below thinks he's going to jump all of a sudden. He's like, oh, okay, I, I'm not going to jump. And he's just kind of spaced out. He's he's in his own head. He's I think he's talking to Birdman. But then it kind of transitions and he's like, you know what? I can fly. And he jumps off a building and he's flying now. And I don't know. I, I, it definitely did a good job of averting my expectations in some of these things because 
as he's doing some of these things that aren't humanly possible as like Birdman, really, as he thinks he's this Birdman character, you think things are really happening in real life that are going to be, you know, going to have bad consequences. Like when he jumps off that building and he's like, I, I'm going to fly and he jumps off. I really thought he was just going to fall and hit a car or he's going to fall to the street and he's going to break a ton of bones and they were going to take him to the hospital or whenever you know, Birdman's flying, he's flying down the street and he's flying and he goes back to the Broadway show. I thought it was going to just cut to him running down the street, acting like he was flying and he was just kind of going to be in his own head, not realizing what he was going to do. And I feel like that would have been, that would have been some comedy to add to the movie. Um, but I feel like maybe it would have been too much and it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked for the ending that the way it is as far as leaving it kind of ambiguous a little bit and letting you think about, your own interpretation of the ending. So maybe if they would have done something like that, it would have kind of ruined how they wanted the ending to be perceived a little bit. So that makes kind of sense. Um, but that's just what I thought in the time. And there was a couple different points throughout the movie. I thought something was going to happen. And then I went and kind of reverted my expectations and, you know, made it took a right turn instead of the left turn I was expecting. Uh, but there was one real thing I did predict right about halfway through the movie. And spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen this movie, I'm going to go into some spoilers here. Halfway through the movie, you are getting to see some of the play when they're doing some of these test shows for the audience before opening night. And they they keep showing the final scene of this play. And it's Michael Keaton's character catching his wife in bed or his girlfriend in bed with somebody else, which is played by Edward Norton. And he goes through this whole thing, how he's upset, and you find out that she didn't love him anymore and everything. So at the end, he decides to kill himself. He blows his brains out, and that's it. And you move on, and then, you know, go to the next scene or whatever. As soon as that happened, I immediately knew he's going to end up killing himself at the end of this movie. And I was kind of right, kind of wrong about it, because at the end of the movie... He, you see, he's in his dressing room. He pulls out the real gun. You see, he pulls out the clip. There's bullets in it. He's going down. They, at, they, they're like, all right, got to attach your, your blood squibs or whatever. He's like, nope, forget about it. Don't worry about it. And you're like, okay, he's going to go out and shoot himself. He goes out, goes through everything, and he acts the scene out like he's never acted before. It's, it's way better than you see those. There's, I believe you see it twice before. He's doing a phenomenal job in the scene, so much so that the critic even like gets up and walks out of the theater. Like she's kind of even mad that he proved her wrong as far as being a great actor. And at the very end of that scene, he pulls that gun out and and shoots himself and it goes to black. And you know, I was like, "Shit, I was right. One thing in this movie I actually did predict successfully." Sure enough, it goes to the hospital, he wakes up, and he apparently missed and blew his nose off, so they have to give him a new nose. And you find out that he is kind of created a new kind of art form as far of as far as acting. It's like realism acting. So instead of like pretending he's shooting himself, he actually shot himself. And then you know it's blowing everybody's socks off. The crit the critic that told him she was gonna destroy his show gave him a pretty much a glowing review of it, pretty much giving them credit for, you know, making this new kind of acting form or art form, I guess. And everything kind of seems too good. Everything's happening. He's back on top. He's going viral. His, his daughter started like a Twitter page for him. That's blown up. Everybody's talking about him. And it seems like he finally got what he wanted. And it was because of, of what he did. 
and this is where it kind of is a little ambiguous. Not just a little. This movie is definitely ambiguous at the ending. Because he gets up, but because if he blew his nose off, he has like this big, like ma- like white, you know, mask of bandages on, and it looks kind of like the Birdman mask a little bit. He then goes into the bathroom, and he takes it off, and he has a new nose, and it, 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 he looks completely different. I was like, holy shit, is that actually Michael Keaton? It didn't look like him at all. But then he like looks in the mirror, and he sees Birdman there, and he goes out, he opens up the window, and he stands on the ledge there, just looking out at the street and everything. And then you cut to his daughter, Emma Stone, walking in and she's looking for him and she can't find him anywhere. And she looks out the window like horrified. And then she looks up and she starts smiling and, you know, seems like she's in a good mood. So it leaves it very ambiguous. Like, did he actually kill himself or or is he actually flying? Did he turn in the bird man? Is he actually flying? I don't think that he's actually flying because everything you've seen before doesn't prove that he has powers of any sort at all. I mean, it wants to make you think like he may have. Like earlier in the movie, he's he's trashing his office, like whipping things around, and you think he's using like telekinesis or something, using his powers. But as soon as somebody sees him doing it, he's actually throwing it. So what he's actually, he thinks he's doing isn't actually what's happening in real life. Just like when he's flying down the streets, like I mentioned before, he just shows up at the Broadway place in a, in a taxi. He doesn't pay the taxi driver though. Everything is not what it seems as far as this movie. I do think that he killed himself at the very end of the movie, whether it was him shooting himself on stage and that's where he died there. Maybe the rest of it is kind of like a dream or like him in like a coma or something. Or maybe he actually killed himself in the hospital where he jumped out the, out the window. Who knows? But I think my interpretation of Emma Stone's character at the end, how she seems happy is I feel like she finally sees that it worked for him. She sees all the recognition that he's getting now, like through the internet, blowing up on social media, through the, the glowing review by the critic, through everything. He finally made his name big again, not just for a superhero movie. He actually got his name out there and he's known for being, you know, a decent actor and doing something new and creating kind of and perfecting his craft a little bit. So I feel like it's a little bit of both. Like he did kill himself, but it's also she's very happy that he was able to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish before he died. So, I mean, I don't know. Apparently the ending of this movie came to the director in a dream, which makes a lot of sense because this the ending of the movie seems very dreamlike. It seems like it's a little too good to be true at the very end. There's so much stuff that's going on all at once that's too good, where in the whole whole rest of the movie is just one bad thing after another i hope you think something's been resolved nope something bad else has happened now so at the very end of the movie it's just one thing after another oh this happened that's good this has happened that's good this has happened so it seems like it's all a little too good to be true it seems a little very dreamlike so it kind of makes sense in a way uh i mean i feel like everybody's gonna kind of have their own interpretation and take out something different from this movie for themselves and I think that's what makes it great and I feel like that's what makes movies great in general I mentioned that before in reviews but every single performance in this movie is fantastic top to bottom even some of the people that that kind of disappear like Naomi Watts she's a small part in this movie but she's amazing and I I mean Naomi Watts she's pretty much amazing everything she does but she's amazing in this movie as well and even uh Andrea Riseborough who plays Laura she's not in it too much but she does a perfect job in it as well she's she's damn good in it now speaking of damn good i'm gonna go into the score for a second this movie is soundtracked by like jazz drums and jazz music in general and i'm not a huge fan of jazz but with the way that it's structured and the way that i mentioned that everything kind of keeps escalating and some of these conversations are escalating it does a 
an amazing job of kind of going through the beats of these conversations and carrying these conversations or carrying these scenes with these kind of drum conversations. Now I've seen some like YouTube videos of like drummers taking like scenes from TV shows or movies and kind of add jazz drums or or something to it to kind of spice up and give the the conversation a little flavor a little bit. But you get that through this whole movie and it's not just the same thing every time. It changes up and it, it gives each conversation its own little its own little uniqueness in a way. And it's just another it's kind of like the cherry on top of and I can't stress this enough, a unique movie. I haven't seen anything like it previously, and I don't know when I'm going to see anything like this again. You you really don't see too many movies that are shot, you know, like a one-take structure or anything like that, or not just that, but, you know, but scored by, like, jazz drums or anything. But yeah, I really enjoyed this film. I feel like everybody's going to kind of take something different out of it, like I mentioned before. They're, everybody's going to have their own interpretation of it. Uh, it has a lot of, you know, there's some decent heavy subject matter and not super heavy, uh, but there's there's definitely some dramatic subject matter that that is relatable for some audiences, I feel like. But it doesn't, like, overindulge in the drama at all. It doesn't go over dramatic at at any point it was perfectly written it was perfectly directed there was a reason that it, it won the awards it did i mean as far as oscars it got you know best picture it got best achievement in directing best writing original screenplay and you also got best achievement in cinematography and that's a lot of the things i mentioned they got awards for right there and what's interesting about this movie watching it now is there's there's a couple messages in it that ring true I feel like louder now than it did at the time because of the state of superhero movies in general, because there's a couple scenes in this where they kind of dive into maybe some of the director's thoughts on superheroes movies. And this was in 2014, 2015 superhero movies are kind of one note. Everybody goes to see them for these huge action set pieces and explosions and characters fighting and everything. Nobody's really going there for the actor or going there for, you know, the story itself, this hard hitting story that's going to pull your heartstrings or, or anything like that. Nobody's going to see an amazing acting performance by one of the leads or anything like that. And talking about that in 2015 was it is very early because that's really like the height of superhero movies, I feel like, as far as like the MCU and everything. So I feel like that rings true even more now because everybody's kind of screaming about like superhero fatigue and everybody was kind of diving in on Quentin Tarantino when he said the same exact thing in a couple of interviews when he was promoting his book. So I feel like that's, that's really in a lot of people's minds is... Superhero movies are great. There's not a lot of substance to them, though. And, I mean, it, it makes sense, though, because I love some of these actors in these movies, in these superhero movies, but I'm not going there to see an amazing performance out of them or anything like that. I, it's, I'm not expecting anything like that going into a superhero movie. But, yeah, I can't recommend this movie enough, especially to people who hasn't seen it. You definitely need to see it at least once just to kind of to pr appreciate everything that went into making this film. Just the the work that that took to crafting that script and and not only that but blocking and trying to plan everything out and how you're going to film it and then put it all together it's it's definitely a a feat of directing that i i, I got to give alejandro gonzalez inarito uh some some props for but yeah it was a great film out of a buy it run it miss it i would say rent it um this is one i'm not going to add to my collection or anything like that but if you haven't seen it i i highly recommend it watching it at least once go out and rent it 
It is on HBO Max. I watch it on HBO Max. But yeah, that is a review for this week. If you haven't already, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Go check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Cinema Trip Reviews. Also, go check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Pretty much available anywhere. Drop in and leave us a good review there. And we'll see everybody next week.